0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for September 18th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, A Shrewd Critique of Capitalism.
1: Thank you for a few smiles out there as I stand up to preach this sermon.
0: <laughs>
1: In my summer sermon on stewardship I preached from this parable called the dishonest manager. The sermon and the bulletin were filled with words about money. The following week I opened a respectful but critical email. My friends criticisms were mostly of the prayer of confession which I repeated today. (laughs) Nobody ever accused me of being too smart, you know, poking the tiger or whatever they call it.
0: And of the criticisms
1: he had heard about capitalism, implied or stated outright, and the criticisms he had understood of the wealthy. He did not agree with or appreciate any of those criticisms. We had a respectful exchange of email that week. I don't think I changed his mind any. Uh, But I sent him an email this week as a heads up that Luke 16 had come up for me again in the lectionary reading as the lectionary reading for this week. And I was going to take that opportunity to address his concerns about my concerns about money and what Jesus has to say about it i'm really grateful that he's here today i really am though i don't know whether i'm digging the hole deeper or getting myself (laughs) out of it. maybe i'll get another email this week and i will learn that Uh, i invited him for coffee and i'll invite any of you for this sermon or any other if you have issues with me i would love to dialogue and i'll buy the coffee before the sermon begins proper i want you to know three things number one I want you to understand that when I step into the pulpit, I think I'm also speaking for Dan and Amy, but when I step into the pulpit, I have only one goal. I was raised a Baptist, learning the Bible, loving the Bible, believing the Bible, and I am still Baptist. The pulpit is for teaching the Bible. What you hear from me is not Russ's crazy liberalism, It's not Democratic Party politics, as sometimes I am accused. It's not economic philosophy. It's my understanding of the Bible. Now, to be sure, my interpretation today or any other day could be wrong, and I always welcome your dialogue. But when I preach, I have only one goal in mind, and that is to interpret the Bible for you. Which means, number two, yes, I still value the Bible. And firmly believe that biblical justice is as valid today as it has ever been. It is not antiquated gobbledygook, some narrow-minded religious piety. The biblical vision for humanity and the theology of the prophets, written some 2,800 years ago and embodied in the story of Jesus, is still the way forward for humanity, I believe. It is not that biblical justice is outdated and failed, old-fashioned. It is that humanity has never actually had the courage to practice it. But I believe a biblical vision for our world will critique our economic system and every other economic system on the planet. And it will critique our political system, and it will critique our cultural traditions, and our morals, and our values, and our commitments as individuals and as a nation. Until the kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven, the way of Jesus will critique our way and our ways. And number three, let me tell you that I am a capitalist. Every month of my working career, almost 30 years now, I have invested my money in the market. A couple times a year, I meet with our financial advisor to review our portfolio, always hoping that the market has done us right. Quarterly, I meet with the church's investment committee to review how our endowments, the church's endowments are performing, and to celebrate how much more ministry and mission we can do Because of capitalism.
0: Any accusation
1: that I am anti-capitalist is a misunderstanding of my convictions. The late William Sloan Coffin, the former iconoclastic pastor of New York's Riverside Church, once spoke of the lover's quarrel he had with America. Because he so deeply believed in this country and because he was so deeply invested in it, he reserved the right to be highly critical at times of his country. And he believed that the honesty and the courage to critique forms the deepest kind of patriotism. Criticism does not mean rejection. So there's the fine point. I'm trying to preach the Bible because I believe the Bible and I'm a capitalist. Now here's the sermon. don't look at your watches I've already taken the intro into consideration if you want to find an affirmation of of money in the Bible all you have to do is look for it a commentator named John Muther says we find a fundamental ambivalence regarding money in the Bible In some context, money is portrayed very positively. Job was a man of great wealth, and Solomon was granted unparalleled riches. The book of Proverbs tells us that the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. What has been called a Deuteronomic theology is alive and well in the Bible. This theology has always been popular and you do not have to look far today for purveyors of what is also known as the prosperity gospel, which means God blesses the faithful with wealth and health. It's bad theology, but it's in the Bible. All you have to do is go look for it. You will be hard pressed though, I suggest to you, to find Jesus Speaking very many good words about money, maybe none, following in the line of the Old Testament prophets and wisdom literature of the Old Testament, which always offers a counter to conventional wisdom, there are conflicting theologies in the Bible, and we must learn from that. Jesus in that line is often just brutal. You cannot serve God and money. He sets up a pretty dramatic dichotomy. God versus money. You cannot serve both. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. The man known as the rich young ruler asks how to gain eternal life. And the man passes every religious test. So Jesus says, very good. Now sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says the man walked away sad, for he had great wealth. And Jesus pretty much says it's impossible for anyone who is rich to get into heaven. Again, Russ didn't say that. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. It's recorded in the Bible. But we can spiritualize Jesus' words if we want to to try to soften it. One way of doing that with this passage about the camel and the needle's eye is to say, oh, there's a church in Bethlehem and the door is locked up to a very low stature. You have to kneel to get in. That was to keep marauding armies from running in and rushing in with their horses and their camels it's possible for a camel to get in that door which is called the needles eye you can go there today in Bethlehem it's possible for a camel to get through the needles eye but he has to really really want to. you can spiritualize that all you want but that church didn't exist when Jesus walked around there was no needles eye door that a camel had to kneel to get through when Jesus preached this text The truth is, it's impossible to squeeze a camel through a needle's eye. What does Jesus mean by all these hard things about money? So when we come to this story in Luke's gospel, where the main character is a money manager for a wealthy man, we could, maybe should, expect Jesus just to lower the boom Here's his chance to put capitalism in his place, right? Now, one aside, the economy of ancient Israel was not capitalism. It was some form of feudalism or tyranny. A professor named Roger Nan says even the fundamental idea of money is essentially foreign to the world of the Hebrew Bible. The masses in that day were certainly not free to own land and control the means of production and labor, but just as we have found small pockets of entrepreneurial creativity in socialist Cuba, there were pockets of capitalism in ancient Israel. My guess is that capitalism in some form, the entrepreneurial spirit in some form is about as old as human beings are it just fits our industrious creative nature too well so the wealthy man owns land and maintains the right to sell the produce from that land that's a pretty capitalistic model and the dishonest manager is essentially in charge of company sales instead of lampooning the one's greed and lambasting the other's dishonesty though jesus Highlights the story in order to commend this man's capitalistic shrewdness expressed in his dishonesty to his master. He's not going to give the master what is owed him. He's taking care of himself and he's settling all the, all the debts. He's dropping down the debts a little bit. Give me 80 instead of 100. He's going to get fired anyway, but he's taking care of himself. And Jesus commends his shrewdness expressed in dishonesty. Go figure, Jesus, right? I call him an equal opportunity critic. Nobody is safe with Jesus. Just when we think we've got it right, we know the answers, we're on the inside, look out. We will return to this story, but quickly a word about capitalism. By definition, capitalism is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. Capitalism was first described by a Scotsman named Adam Smith. Smith didn't develop capitalism, invent it, he just first described it. Smith said, no society can surely be flourishing and happy, of which the far greater part of the members are poor and miserable. Adam Smith was not an economist. He was a moral philosopher, driven by concern for the welfare of the masses. God bless him for that. He believed capitalism was the greatest tool for raising the most people out of poverty, and he was probably right. Adam Smith also believed that people are born with an innate moral sense. So, we can always be trusted to do the right thing, right? To make the right decisions that benefit the most people, we can always be trusted to promote other people's happiness out of benevolence, even if it doesn't profit us, right? Author Katrine Markal questions this fundament of Smith's system. It is not from the benevolence of the butcher or the banker that we can expect our dinner, she says, but from their regard to their own interest. When Adam Smith wrote that all our actions stem from self-interest and the world turns because of financial gain, he brought to life quote, economic man, she says. Selfish and cynical economic man has dominated our thinking ever since and his influence has spread from the market to how we shop and work and date. But every night, Adam Smith's mother served him dinner out of love, not out of self-interest today our economics focuses on self-interest and excludes all other motivations so here's the critique it's not that capitalism is not an incredible machine for inviting creativity it's the most incredible machine in that regard the world has ever known it's not that capitalism has not made many people wealthy More people wealthy than any other system. It has. And to some degree, that's a wonderful thing. To a large degree, that's a wonderful thing. It's not that in the process, many poor people have not been raised to a higher standard of living. That also is undeniably true. The critique is that the system is fundamentally flawed from a perspective of biblical justice. Let's go back to the definition. Capitalism is a system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit. Private owners for profit. Now in a secular world, there's absolutely nothing wrong with such a definition. And as an economic system, no one can criticize But Christians do not live in a secular world. Christians do not live in a secular world. We live in a religious world, believing in God and other forces. Christians do not live in a secular world, and we are not supposed to be motivated by self-interest. Both motivations, by definition, run counter to the deepest, Biblical wisdom from Genesis to Revelation. Biblical justice is not based on private ownership, but on partnership with God and one another. Biblical justice is centered on community, not on the individual. And the life of faith is not motivated by the enticement of profit, but by the establishment of justice Regardless of the cost. Two days before he died, Amy and I took our sons to see Charlie Milford, the founding pastor of this church. And as Charlie lay dying, the last thing he said to my boys was, boys, always do the right thing, no matter the cost. I don't know if Katrine Markal is religious or not, but she understands that, some, some, that something deeply troubling to the human community, she understands that something deeply troubling to the human community today, which means human survival, and she has put her finger on the central conflict between capitalism as an economic system and Christianity as a way of life when she says today our economics focuses on self-interest. The extreme inequality in wealth and income that we are seeing in our society today is unprecedented and it may be simply the inevitable outcome of a system that has been allowed to celebrate the individual over community, profit over peace self-interest over sacrificial love. Now I told you that critique does not mean rejection. So let's go back to Jesus' story in which he does not repudiate the system, but he does change the narrative. He redefines the purpose of the system He leaves the means in place, commending a shrewd practice of capitalism, but he gives it a completely new end, a more worthy goal. Katrine Marcall says it this way, Economics has told us a story about how the world works, and we have bought it hook, line, and sinker. Now it's time to change the story. I believe neither she nor Jesus would commend rejecting capitalism, just changing the way we practice it. What is the purpose of what Jesus calls dishonest wealth? The purpose is not profit, which he says will one day be gone. The purpose of dishonest wealth. Is community which is our eternal security in his book the price of inequality Joseph Stiglitz observes markets do not exist in a vacuum they are shaped by our politics often in ways that benefit those at the top in other words That invisible hand that Adam Smith said guided our markets is not so invisible at all. It's you and me and our decisions and our choice of leaders and our policies that we vote into place. We shape the market. We are responsible for the inequalities in our culture and we can change them if we want to. This is what Jesus is suggesting, I think, that we use our dishonest wealth for an honest, indeed for a holy purpose. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, not if it is gone, When it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal halls. If I may translate that verse, use the system at your disposal in a way that when your money is gone, you will have that which is more important, i.e., you will have company for eternity. The friend who criticized my earlier sermon was especially annoyed by the prayer of confession that we again just prayed. Especially that phrase, without lifting a finger. He explained the value of markets and how much it had benefited him which had allowed him to give generously to this church. I understand and I am more grateful for the market and for his generosity than he can know. But I told him this story. Not long after going away to college, Jackson called home, and he said to me he wanted to meet with our financial advisor because he needed to be in the market. I think those were Jackson's words. I need to be in the market. Now I was so pleased that my college freshman son wanted to start early being responsible about his future and investing. God knows Amy and I need that. in Jackson's words that concerned me some naivete it was as if all you have to do is put a little money in the market and without lifting a finger your future will be secure. Right? I did call our advisor who gave sage wisdom for my son Tell Jackson that the best investment is always to save money regularly. There's a significant difference in these two models. In the first, you just put money in and sit back and presto, you get rich. In the other, month by month by month of your entire working life, you make your your future by the fruit of your labor which is its own dividend. We live in a culture of get rich quick. You can just feel the kind of thirsty greed as the jackpot lotteries rise, can't you? You can just feel it. God wants us to know that work is the better jackpot any even if you do not get rich from it you at least have your work the market has made a lot of people wealthy and there's a lot of good to be said for that but the downside is that maybe it's just too easy without lifting a finger it's too easy to forget from where we have come to forget that in some way we have all been poor, that every one of us at one time or another has needed or will need a hand up. So let us be reminded by the poor in our midst and by the sweat of our own brow that the only real wealth we have is one another and that community is a gift Of God. And out of gratitude, let us be committed to shape the system that shapes us by selfless generosity, not self interest, so that when our money is gone, the friends we have shrewdly made may welcome us into the eternal homes. May it be so.